Hello everyone! Welcome aboard to Thundercode's non-profit Digital Voyage, a show where we talk about tech, social and public good, and how you can get involved. I'm your host, Timelia, and I hope everyone can sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. If you're ready, let's set sail! And now, on to our episode. Hello everyone, welcome to the official first episode of Thundercode's non-profit Digital Voyage. Today, I am also joined with the show's very first guest, one of Thundercode's founders, Kevin. Kevin, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi everyone, I'm Kevin. Uh, I'm one of the founders of Thundercode, and I'm very happy to be here today. Right. Um, uh, so now let's, let's start things off. So let's talk about, you know, Thundercode because, you know, you're one of the founders and it's also in this podcast namesake. <laughs> uh, can you please walk us through about how, you know, how the company came to be, like how it started and all that? Sure. So uh, Thundercode, was, was or, Thundercode was originally a funded startup uh, working on a B2B marketplace platform. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, some some people might know in an earlier form, uh, it was it was actually a photography marketplace, a very long time ago. Mm. Uh, so we actually went through uh, quite a number of uh, different pivots, right? And uh, in the end, we settled down on becoming a social enterprise that focuses on social and public sector digitization. Right. Um, you know, from from being a photography. Uh, marketplace as you said to like a social service enterprise that's quite a big shift um what you know caused that like shift in direction you know yeah what was the journey behind it oh yeah i mean there's a lot of drama involved but uh, (laughs) (laughs) um so basically what happened is that we started doing uh, wanting to do a photography marketplace because uh we read somewhere uh in a in a book and also a friend and mentor had shared that, you know, we should uh, focus on doing a business that one of the founders is good at. Right. And Emil is a photographer. Mm. So we're like, oh, obviously we should run a photography marketplace. (laughs) And uh, obviously, (laughs) obviously, uh, it's not not, not something you you should bet on. Um, The the market generally was was small. And what we actually found was that uh, we discovered that while we were building lots of software for photographers, we found that what they really wanted was actually more business. Mm. And um, and so we went from that into a B2B marketplace where we could give business to businesses, right? And right. Um, and throughout that whole process, uh, there there were basically some um, some quite a few challenges. And what happened is at some point uh, when we when we were kind of like at our kind of like our last breath right where mm. we uh, quite a few times actually uh, 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 in the past Tanako actually went through very very uh, deep valley periods right where I we were running out of cash so uh, what happened then is we decided we actually were already involved in uh, the social sector and we decided with our um, with the last with the last um, few, how do you say, few weeks or months of cash, we decided that we would do as much as we could for charities. 
So we kind of wanted, wanted to go out in a, in a blaze of glory, right? Just to help as many charities as we could with, you know, the money we have left. Then we'll go and say sorry to our investors, right? Or, and return whatever money that's left, right? But at the same time, we, we wanted to help out. So uh, I, I guess Thundercode in, in its current form was kind of born from that conviction, right? So there was one time where uh, we had uh, six days of cash left. And oh, wow. We just said just go out and help as many people as we could, and within the six days, I mean, uh, really thank God we we got sixty days of cash in revenue. Then after that, we actually within the sixty days we got six months of cash while all while trying to help. So, the more we gave to help of ourselves, for some reason, the more um, work and projects we got until uh, un- until we grew and grew, and at some point we got appointed as the lead sector digitization consultants. Yeah, I think mm. so. Oh. Uh, so it was really a journey, and I think a, um, a in a way a, a test of I think what we do when things are not going well, right? And mm. and for us, I think our response is quite clear, right? We wanted to do as much as we could to help. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how you say like you wanted to like um end things off with like. I guess essentially like a with a bang, you know, because you wanna you know, do your, what you can to help people, uh, while you say um quote to quote like on your last breath. <laughs> but um, it's good to know that you know while you anticipated to like um, burn out, you ended up continuing to like um, your flame continued to burn until today, and that's really that's really inspiring to listen to hear. Um, I'm actually curious about like you mentioned that you guys have challenges and, and um you guys had challenges throughout your journey and then at some point you were really like at your last breath. Um, do you think like can you share a little story about that? Sure. So uh, I I mean I I would say that one of our uh, biggest um, mistakes was actually focusing uh, our B two B marketplace on many verticals. Mm. So we're working on many, many different industries. I mean, completely unlike what what Tanako is now, where we are specialized in the social and public sector, right? So we right. we are multi-industry because um, we we had a faulty assumption that uh, procurement and purchasing for for companies and governments, right, wanted to uh, wanted to be able to purchase everything, right? So it, it's true, but there are significant challenges with operationalizing that, right? Uh, I, I'm sure uh, many charity uh, EDs, executive directors, and CEOs would be aware of this. That uh, if you have too large a scope on your programs or a multitude of programs, it becomes more difficult to assign resources to each one. So, mm. so as charities have you know program creep, where they add on many uh, many many dozens of programs. Right, and each one becomes under-resourced. So too, we had category creep, where we took on many, many different categories of B2B services and couldn't invest enough in each one. Mm, I see. And so that, that meant like much lower um, level of performance for each category, right? Similar to how charities may face some uh, service uh, challenges or um, service failures, right? If uh, if there are too many uh, programs as well. Mm. So I guess like um, 
but you know you came out from that um that time like with a valuable lesson i'm assuming and you know because of that your article continues to do pretty well until today so uh, i guess you can say there's a silver lining behind all that yes we've been very blessed um so so we're very thankful you know very thankful for that and what i would say is that um i i think what we learned from that is something that uh, we realized actually also uh, applied to many of the charity uh, leaders that we have spoken to as well right mm-hmm. when we work with our our beneficiaries right or service users right similarly just as how uh, Thundercoat works with customers, right? right? We can always choose to um, expand in different ways. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by this? So we can choose to expand um, to different segments of beneficiaries or customers. We can choose to uh, expand more services to the same beneficiaries or customers. And, um, and each choice has a different uh, characteristic and gives us access to different you know, uh, funders, grant makers, and different types of program support. So the uh, for Thundercode, right, uh, what we chose to do is that we chose to be very focused, right, and we focus on only one segment, and we expand the, the quality and the quantity of services for the segment, and also try to work with partners, right, to, uh, to complete the suite of um, services that we delivered to our customers. Right? So for charities, that would be uh, the beneficiaries. So in, for example, uh, we've had charities who um, begin with a befriending program. They added on a entre- micro entrepreneurship program to the same beneficiaries. They have added on um, other areas, Meals on Wheels or other, ki- other kinds of services, all targeting the same set of beneficiaries. Right. Uh, and what really what mattered uh, to them is that the focusing on the same segment actually reduces the cost of reaching the segment and reduces mm. the cost of bring each service. I see. I see. So similarly, DQ, we um, done a code, right? We tap on the same uh, thing as well, right? So the idea is that over time, we uh, we have deeper and deeper domain knowledge of the social sector and public sector. So we're very aware of what each of the social uh, char- uh, sector agencies, charity agencies, and government agencies um, need. And using that, we can better tailor to them and also more easily reach out to them. Mm, I see, I see. All right, um, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, um, I hope that, you know, the listeners, you know, learn something from the stories that you share as much as I did, right? Um, so to start off, like to I guess like to segue into the today's main topic, right? So the show is about you know many things, but mainly about nonprofit and tech, and we'll discuss each part in depth in separate episodes. For today, we're going to explore the like the first part of the the first part of the I mentioned, which is the word nonprofit. So nonprofit is a you know it's a pretty common phrase. Like if you you hear it from you hear from phrases like nonprofit organizations, nonprofit campaigns, etc. Et but um, maybe Kevin, you would like to explain like in your opinion and like based on your understanding and experience, what exactly, how would you explain 
the word nonprofit to someone who asked you. You know, if someone comes up to you and like, hey, you know, what does nonprofit mean aside from you know, uh, something that does not earn profit? You know, yeah. <laughs> Making this easy for me, are you? Okay. Um, <laughs> I I think to begin with, uh, we have to understand that every region has their own names for these right. things. So nonprofit is predominantly, I would say, a more uh, Western and in particular American term, right? right. Um, mm-hmm. In Malaysia, I believe it's uh, the name is NGO, right? Yes. Typically, uh, and uh, in Singapore, yeah, yeah. they are usually either charities or social sector agencies. Right. I see. So, uh, social sector agencies. The main difference is that um, it's a more specific subsector where they focus on delivering um, social services or human services. Mm. Just another name for it in, uh, in Western context. Right. So, I believe that the while nonprofits have the word nonprofit in their name, uh, they mm. have uh, quite a few. Uh, similarities with businesses, but yet they also have uh, one or two major differences. Mm. Right. So in terms of similarity, uh, non-profits or NGOs, right, have a virtuous cycle where they are actually able to build up and increase and grow their organizations as well as their impact. Right. Similar to uh, businesses. Right. And in, in TQ with our experience with uh, with a lot of different charities and nonprofits, right. uh, we actually uh, call this the Rasa cycle, right? Uh, or R4SA, right? So the cycle we understand uh, is that first charities will uh, will need to be able to have uh, usually a cause. Once they have a cause, the first R is that they need to have reach mm, public right. uh, relations or you know the idea is that you need to reach uh, key decision makers or the public in order to raise awareness for your cause and this is kind of intuitive for most charity senior management all right what happens next is that this reach if successfully executed right gives two things one uh, especially if it's with the public or key decision makers right it uh, generates uh, more resources in terms of volunteers, grants, and donations. And mm. the next R is that it actually generates referrals because people now know that your charity is known for a particular cause, right? Be it children, um, special education, uh, persons with disabilities, or certain type, right? So they would then refer other people or other um, uh, beneficiaries to you, right? Or cases to you. So this enables you to have more um, work to be done and to increase impact, right? Then these uh, resources as well as these referrals combined together through service activities where we simply deliver the services, be it befriending, counseling, right? Uh, case management, right? Or other human services. Right, or assistive, uh, delivering assistive technologies or um, maintaining fleets to um, help with either um, resource or goods delivery or to help to transport beneficiaries to their places of work or education. Right? So these service activities um, then deliver results, which we then document 
right? And go back to reach again, where we publicize it. So reach generates resources and referrals, which combine through service activities to generate results. And these results can be used to generate more reach, making a positive feedback loop, a virtuous cycle. Right? So mm. this kind of drives the North Star of the each of the charities, right? And allows them to grow and to scale up their impact. Of course, I mean this assumes to a certain extent that um, that the charities and nonprofits and social service agencies actually want to grow their their impact beyond a, a certain level, right? And um, so now the question is, what is the difference between this and a business? Because a business also has a similar virtuous cycle. The business right. has customers, right, which you uh, serve well, which results in better reputation and reach, you know, which you, which you then um, choose to serve well again. Yep. The main difference is that the person providing the funds to you is sometimes a third party for NGOs and charities. So the money to, to drive impact is not from the beneficiary. While for businesses, the only person you have to please is the customer because the customer consumes the service and pays you to deliver more services. Yes. This does not happen for non-profits and NGOs. So I'll say that's the key difference. If you ask me what's the definition and the difference between a non-profit and a uh, commercial business. Mm, I see, I see. Actually, um, it brought to my attention that, you know, while, while you were explaining this, you made it a point to separate, you know, the term non-profit organization or NGOs or, you know, social social services agencies and charities. I noticed that you kept them separate, but, you know, um, people, some people might, when they think of charities, they think it always oh, the same as non-profit, but um, are there like differences between the two of them that should be noted? Uh, I, I think that non-profit charities and uh, NGOs are often used interchangeably. Yes, um, yeah. I, I think I'll take the chance to kind of clarify some differences between different types of charities rather than the specific differences between NGOs and charities. So hmm. broadly, there are two categories of um, of well, NGO, non-profit or charity, right? <laughs> um, Broadly, they break down into advocacy-based and service delivery-based or human services-based. Right. So the key difference is, are they trying to lobby for changes in the public opinion, legislation, or other forms of regulatory frameworks or funding frameworks? Or are they directly looking to deliver services to beneficiary groups and deliver outcomes? Hmm. So that's one of the key differences uh, between the two different types. And many uh, charities, NGOs, or nonprofits actually would have a mix of these. So they would have a certain amount of advocacy and a certain amount of service delivery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, this usually depends on their philosophy and their, I guess, their theory of change, how they, how they hope to deliver change to beneficiaries. Because uh, the reason why many charities choose to do advocacy work is because they see that after a, a lot of service delivery, you notice that the problem uh, might be because of some uh, limitations in the regulatory frameworks that may be causing such an issue. 
So it's, it could be a systemic problem rather than a specific problem. Uh, conversely, the other the other spectrum is that you know if you only do advocacy work, we never really get a chance to deliver direct outcomes, as mm-hmm. you know. So yep. uh, other people do feel that you know it is uh, more meaningful to work on specific uh, individuals and groups or, or groups of society, right? Who could who could um, directly benefit from these services. So. Because with advocacy, you're not sure whether you know you can get it, and even then, it may not be the outcome that you want. While if you work directly with them and you have direct interventions, um, you know there's a lot more that you can see uh, tangible results in. So, so these 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 two are definitely on a continuum, right? And it's really up to the leader of each uh, charity and nonprofit organization to decide where they fall on this continuum. Mm, I see, I see. Um, right. So, you know, you've explained what um nonprofit is and what it defines and like like the key differences between like um nonprofits and like um other forms of business businesses. And as I understand, you know, Thundercode like they aim to help the social sector and this of course, you know, include nonprofit organizations and of course charities. So then you also have this tagline called Help the Helpers. So my question to you is um why do you want to help the social sector, or like nonprofit organizations specifically? You know, why help the helpers as opposed to you know helping anyone else? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, this is a really common question, and it's precisely because the first thing that people think about is helping beneficiaries that we have to help the helpers. I see. Because the first thing that occurs to any volunteer is that I want to be involved in direct service. I want to see the beneficiary. I want to see them smile, right? I would like to see, you know, what they feel is real impact, right? And right. I want to see tangible impact. Um, right. What this means is that there are far too few organizations who are willing to help these uh, non-profits, charities, service organizations, or even public sector organizations to deliver impact because um, generally this entire segment is underserved, right? And um, and everyone focuses so much on beneficiaries, we never really remember or seek right, to help the helpers. And what I believe is that in all our charities, our social service organizations, right, our non-profits, we as a society have many different um, kind of demands as well as uh, things we ask of our charity workers, right, and uh, they have made very, very great sacrifices in terms of their livelihood, you know, in terms of the quality of life and the are making a lot of trade-offs in their personal lives in order to impact society. Right. I believe that um, we should dignify their sacrifice right, by not giving them our society's leftovers, but we should be giving them the first fruits and the best of our tools and equipping, right, and the best resources because they are the ones on the front lines doing the good work, right, that would impact 
the people impact communities right so I believe it's not fair if we give them you know what's left over that's correct yeah I mean yeah because they they did so much they they do so much and I feel like you know to be um, I don't want to say the word rewarded (laughs) but like to be given the leftovers is just you know it doesn't feel personally I I also don't feel it's like the right thing as well and you know you know they they do this much I feel like um, they also deserve uh, the best on their end as well yeah right that in a way is the best way to dignify the sacrifices they're making because it, it's a way to make sure that their impact can be multiplied. Mm-hmm. So for a given sacrifice or a given uh, trade-off in their personal lives, at least they can reach out to more people, at least they can deliver you know, a greater benefit and, and see more people lives changed and transformed. And that I think is, is in a way uh, part of the meaning that they were looking for. So, you know, why bog them down with paperwork? Why why bog them down with administrative overhead, right? You know, Mm -hmm. when all this can be dealt with relatively easily with tools that you can get off the shelf. Right, right. Um, Actually, you know, when you mentioned that, like, you know, you said, like, why bog them down with, like, manual, like, with paperwork and all that. Um, This kind of brings me back to, like, this kind of brings me to my next question to you. Because, you know, Thunderco has been around since 2016, correct? Or it's been around since 2016, am I right? A little earlier, actually. I think the company's been around since 2014, but in different forms. Ah, I see. So so I would say Thunderco, as the brand, has been around since 2016. Yeah. Mm, Right. Um, And so that's been... like several years since then so you know throughout this time you know during your journey and establishing the company and of course you know helping the helpers you know what are your um thoughts on the non-profit landscape in like um in singapore in malaysia or maybe in uh, in southeast asia in general um what are some of the challenges and trends that you've you've noticed you know throughout this time Mm. yeah i think when we first came into the social sector and we you know uh, came from a commercial background, right? right. I mean, the first thing we have to do is get off our high horse, right? <laughs> and thinking, you know, we're here to help, you know, we're here to do things better. That's uh, true. We were very mistaken, right? Uh, in our work as uh, the sector digital consultants, right? Uh, working, uh, working with the government agencies to also uh, reach out to help different charities with the digital strategy and implementation, right? We have actually seen a lot of um, different challenges and we've also seen uh, a few different uh, trends that are happening. Mm. So one of the one of the key challenges we've noticed, I mean, of course, uh, during the COVID pandemic, there was significant service disruption uh, in service yes. delivery. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing everyone did was uh, go remote. You know, so we were very involved uh, and w- with you know, providing the uh, resource centers and uh, all these different support uh, infrastructure, right? But I would say that uh, one of the the key things that we are seeing 
is that there's a much, much bigger focus on uh, moving towards e-service delivery. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, kind of uh, enabling um, not just beneficiaries but also social workers right, to deliver services on a, uh, on a more lightweight uh, digital level. Right? Of course, um, the easy mistake to make at this point would be to then increase, vastly increase the caseload of each caseworker just because they have more time, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. I believe that's the wrong thing to do because um, as it is, um, the the caseloads are very, very high for every social worker. We're noticing actually an increase in the caseload, uh, possibly pandemic fuel, right? Mm. Uh, and a large uh, rise in mental health challenges across society. And this is uh, matched by a corresponding rise in uh, various ground up movements and initiatives Right, which are trying to address uh, mental health, which was previously a taboo topic. Right. So, mm. the, um, so this is happening in across the world, right, and in in Malaysia, Singapore as well, right. So the the increase in e-service delivery, uh, rise of mental health challenges, uh, and uh, greater acceptance of mental health challenges because now everyone is stuck at home. <laughs> right. And, Everyone has it, so <laughs> you know it's nothing. It's nothing to be you know to be ashamed of anymore, right? So we are noticing that what that has meant is that many different charities, NGOs, and nonprofits are actually adding on, um, you know, mental health arms, you know, for their uh, beneficiary segments and service user segments. They are adding on um, more holistic support, and we've also noticed uh, that. Uh, in tandem with that, many people, since they're already branching out to mental health, they actually, many charities have been adding on um, other kinds of, uh, how do you say, uh, other kinds of programs that drive uh, the self-efficacy of the beneficiaries, right, through uh, micro-entrepreneurship programs, through uh, coach um, say peer coaching programs, we've mm-hmm. noticed that there are trends in um, an increase of getting beneficiaries to help beneficiaries. Right? I see. And, um, yeah, and and this model, I, I believe, is actually a good direction because um, there's actually a greater level of empathy, and um, and all these can be enabled using uh, digital tools, definitely, right? But I think the most important is that. Uh, they actually have a greater degree of understanding and domain knowledge of the challenges right, in, in some cases. Mm-hmm. So uh, other trends that we have seen, uh, we've seen a very, I mean, the number one technology that, that has risen throughout this, um, through this entire uh, pandemic few years, right, has been, of course, the rise of the contact center systems uh, hotlines, contact center systems, 24-hour hotlines, right? With various kinds of connections required to case management, with various connections to volunteer management when volunteers are actually manning hotlines. Uh, we've also noticed uh, a lot of a lot of movement away from email-based engagement towards other kinds of omni-channel engagements, right? Uh, 
GSM, SMS, uh, different push notifications through their service delivery apps, right? And we've also noticed um, general uh, increase in the um, variety of communications as well. So uh, some of the, the challenges that have been faced by charities during this time, uh, along with the the uh, the groundswell of different um, communications coming up from all the different nonprofits, also has been some challenges with trust and veracity, because uh, along with everyone asking for more uh, funds and a sudden burst of communications from all the nonprofit and charity organizations has been a corresponding rise in scams and other forms of, uh, of, of confidence schemes which take advantage of the branding of these nonprofits. So it's mm. more important than ever that charities take steps to protect their own channels of communication and to, um, and to build up the confidence and the trust of the public in the veracity and verified uh, nature and trusted nature of their communication channels. Hmm, I see. And right, um, you've you've mentioned that you know, um, especially especially since the pandemic, since uh, especially since the pandemic happened, um, you know, there's an increase of like um, the need for like e-service delivery and also like digital tools, like the importance of digital tools become more prominent in like especially in nonprofit organizations and charities. And um, I guess this this kind of like segues into like my next question for you, because one of the objectives I would say of Tender Code is also to promote tech for good. And so I want to ask like, you know, what is exactly tech for good? And, you know, even though uh, I guess you sort of did answer my next question, which is why did you choose tech for good movement as a way to help out, you know, the social sector as opposed to other strategies out there? Maybe you would like to add on to that. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, we've been asked uh, quite often why we why we support the tech for good movement, why we plow so many uh, and so much resources into um, supporting the tech for good movement in society, uh, even in countries where uh, tech for good is not a very common uh, common uh, watchword. Uh, I mean, mm. in Singapore, it is quite developed, right? And and many people do volunteer. So I I think the first thing is to actually expand on one of the important trends um, that I previously haven't covered yet, right? That more and more charities are trying to self-digitalize. And this is often done through low-code, right? Through the rise of low-code applications where they can um, kind of uh, program or drag and drop to create their own little uh, applications or automations, right? Typically communications or database-based. Right. right service user databases or beneficiary databases and beneficiary communications right so all these are parts of the e-service delivery and um, the big challenge faced by the um, social sector is that firstly the capital expenditure right of building up a large number of IT systems is very high mm. second there usually are uh, few to no IT uh, personnel, although they might have IT people on their board you know, or an IT committee full of experts, but there isn't uh, an internal, often there isn't an internal champion or there is one, but he's, he or she is extremely overworked, right? 
in right. order to create the digital transformation of their charities. So there is both a manpower as well as a fiscal financial limitation on the amount of capital expenditure that they can um, build in the IT systems. The second mm -hmm. is that even if you can build IT systems or even if there are grants available to build the IT systems, the, the IT maintenance load uh, and maintenance, I don't mean uh, uh, maintaining uh, just or updating the software or, or doing the servers, which you used to do with on-premises. Now with cloud systems, right, uh, maintenance is covered by your cloud provider, but there is other maintenance you need to do. You need to update your processes. You need to maintain integrations. So there are three forces of decay which act to degrade the um, the IT systems that we've already installed in our charities, right? Uh, we call it TIT. The first is turnover decay. The second is integration decay, and the third is process drift. So the first is relatively self-explanatory, right? In work case work, uh, case loads are very high right and um, because there's there can be limited career progression especially in our uh, corporate services uh, departments right then mm. people promote themselves by moving them across moving moving themselves across different nonprofits right so they promote themselves to a bigger charity in order to to get career progression because the departments are small right so this turnover, uh, does not help with knowledge management at all. It actually uh, causes a lot of uh, loss in capabilities. It causes loss in understanding of how to use the systems. So the first thing is that the turnover uh, decay, right, acts to reduce the the level of training investment and um, increase the level of uncertainty in using the current systems. So it's not that the system has lost functionality, but the organization has lost the ability to use the system. The second area, integration decay, uh, happens as a natural progression of the nature of our new internet-based, cloud-based softwares. The integration that, that we use and rely on between our emailing software, our volunteer management, right, case management, our different databases, our Power BI or other analytics software, right, and all the different uh, uh, tools that we use at the centers or in the fleets where we move beneficiaries, each of these things are integrated to each other and they are constantly being updated at different speeds and when they're updated often the connections break. So these uh, integrations will decay because naturally they're being updated and they need to be updated themselves. So this is another thing that drives the IT maintenance uh, requirement. The third thing that drives the need for IT maintenance and the third force of decay is finally process drift. This to an extent is, is uh, partly a symptom of the process of program creep that happens uh, whenever we have a new charity or NGO leadership, right? We, with new NGO charity leadership or even with existing ones, we have a tendency to stack and add on existing programs, more partnerships, and uh, what happens is that the systems that we've invested in are designed for the old programs, but yet the new program or the new process has drifted. When we change uh, a new volunteer manager, when we change to a new uh, fundraising and engagement or donor management uh, manager, we actually 
have new processes being introduced. So it's not that the system doesn't work anymore, but the system doesn't work for the new process. And each of these require more updating, require someone to gather requirements in order to understand the process, to understand new process, to understand what automations are required, to understand what takes a lot of time so that we can save time, right? And uh, what this means is that actually across the board, there's the need for two things. One, there is a need for uh, softwares that are open, preferably open source or common standards, which uh, which the nonprofits and charities can tap on so that many people can collaborate to work together to maintain these IT systems and to offset right, these three different forces of decay that act on our systems throughout our digital voyage. The second thing is that Frankly, the charity sector cannot afford the sky-high tech talent prices, right? Structurally, it's a problem because every other industry, or every industry I would say, is mm. actually trying to recruit tech talent, right? With this kind of, um, of sky-high prices, which might frankly be a bubble, right? Um, structurally, charities are not able to afford uh, any of this uh, maintenance ongoing requirements. So what uh, we are trying to do with the Tech for Good movement is that we are trying to drive uh, more and, and raise awareness of the, um, the benefits of tech volunteerism. We're trying to raise awareness of anyone in a non-tech background who can help out with uh, off-shelf tools, with easy uh, implementations or with simply talking to charities to help them uh, to help them use simple tools which are available for free right online or through tech donations right so through this they can help with both contributing to the um, to the new system build up of charities and also contribute to uh, maintaining the system so that they help these charities and NGOs and nonprofits to impact even more people in the future. So generally, we are supporting this Tech for Good movement because um, these are key inputs that are needed by, by, this, by these charities in order to help society. So we believe that, um, we believe that on the open market, it will be very, very difficult for them to be able to afford this level of, of, uh, of support. And if society feels that we should be helping those who are left behind, then we should support those who help them, right, through our own efforts and through what we are doing as part of the commercial digital transformation and disruption wave anyway. We are upskilling ourselves in order to get more digital transformation knowledge, in order to understand how to do IT project management. We're learning how to run agile projects, right? Even if we are not in tech, or not developers ourselves, we are learning how to project manage, how to gather requirements, how to do design thinking, right? How to do, um, you know, user interface, user experience design, right? So all these all right. things do help contribute to the level of, I would say, the digital capital stock, right? And they help to contribute to the digital voyage of all these charities. So uh, that's why we do the Tech for Good movement, because we have gone through in great detail 
right with many charities right their problems and we we feel that it's something that that um it's not just something that should be left to the government but it's something that we as a community as a society can make an impact i see that's um you know hearing hearing you explain all of that it makes me wonder like you know given that uh, like the challenges that goes head in hand i would say with this tech for good movement and i'm sure that you know you you've also faced your own sh- fair share of challenges well you know um helping the helping the social sector um so i guess you know since our time is nearly up and i guess to tend things off is there you know you know despite all the challenges that you face and you know the 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 things that you've noticed um has there maybe you would like to share an experience that you know that makes you think like oh you know what despite everything i'm i'm glad that i'm playing this role that i've decided to play i'm glad that i'm promoting tech for good and i'm i'm helping the helpers has there been an experience that made you really think that i i think there are two uh two stories which i sure i would like to share so I, i would think that one is when we moved from a commercial space to working on the social and public sector, uh, what we realized is that we now no longer grade our projects by the pure dollar numerical value of our projects. Mm. Right? We now look at our projects in terms of the number of people we've impacted. So if, let's say, we were building a hotline, right, where... Um, where uh, people you know could uh, cry out for help during a crisis right we now know that it's not just a hotline which has you know x thousand dollars and frankly not a lot of revenue but it's something which actually helps thousands of people to get in touch with people in the time where it's the darkest for them right and that is something which um which to us we found much more meaningful than our previous commercial work because uh, now you know it's no longer just a number where I have to you know grind it you know it's like kind of like playing a game I have to grind to my next level <laughs> I, I now know that in the process of doing this you know frankly even if we didn't make that much money on it mm. we did help the same case workers and social workers right reach out to hundreds or thousands more people right and and to enable them to, you know, have a human touch and a human voice to really be with them during this time, right? So I felt that that was something that made it worthwhile, and that's something I really appreciate about um, about Danico being in our social sector and delivering on our social mission, right? We feel that um, that I think it's best if social good is not something that is delivered. You know, in the corner of our budget, you know, from a tiny piece of our CSR budget, but it's percent right. permeated throughout all the projects we do, all the paid projects we do, right? Each of them should deliver impact. And I think the second thing that um, that I felt that uh, was impactful, and I would say um, also at the same time. Uh, something that I, I was surprised by, right, is that I think D 
the nature of support and fundraising is actually surprisingly fat driven unfortunately there's a very much a flavor of the month kind of cycle going on and that made me think about the overall challenges about giving and donations as a share of the public wallet right i think there is a certain percentage and a certain limit to how much the public is willing to give to help charity and that made me um wonder right and this is something i haven't yet resolved right mm. wonder how big a charity and non-profit sector we can support as a society right um and societies across different countries right the that made me wonder about the different models in which um our social sector agencies fund ourselves right do we is there a way where we can where we can fund ourselves um at the same time uh, not draw from the public share of wallet right there has been a very big movement towards um businesses run by charities but there have been very very mixed results and and a lot of failures as well because the dna of the commercial uh businesses or even social enterprises are very different from um from the the way charities normally work so what i've seen is that social enterprises which succeed are typically traditional businesses who substitute parts of their factors of production or their labor inputs with beneficiary groups right thereby giving employment and dignity to these beneficiary groups but at the same time delivering useful services right to the general society right and this in fact i think is one of the best ways to um to dignify and to give i think a sense of purpose and also uh empowerment for mm-hmm. our beneficiary groups because i mean in the end a good job is the best welfare for us right and it means that you're independent it means that you're no longer dependent right on the social sector agencies so we they do have a conundrum where you know if you do your job well the idea is you want to run yourself out of business so to speak you want to run yourself like you know out of business and not have to serve the same beneficiaries over and over again right, right. so the there's something really food for thought for us to think about as charity and ngo leaders and um what we have found is that for social enterprises uh the ones which usually have more trouble are those which try to create new business models um and those are very difficult to do even for commercial enterprises already so as a social enterprise to to serve beneficiary groups to create new business models right we increase the level of uncertainty right uh and usually that's where we have a lot we see a lot of failures the vast majority of failures are when new business models are created rather than traditional uh proven service and business and commercial models so um so for tanacode i mean the way we approach this is that we tr- uh we focus first on trying to deliver and and drive the financial model right so that uh we can scale up our impact right and we want to basically uh drive as much impact as we can within our financial model 
before we even activate the second level where we can proceed to hire more um, at risk or disadvantaged or beneficiary groups. So that's the next level. So that we, we deal with the hard problem first. And I believe that we have had some limited success in that as well. I see. I see. You know, that was a very that was a very interesting sharing session. And you know, I really want to I really hope that, you know, we can hopefully continue this conversation in the next episode but unfortunately we are out of time so that's all you know for today and you know i i thank you so so much for joining me in this conversation and i hope that our listeners find it as beneficial as i did before we like you know end things off do you have anything else to say before you know we leave i think no, I, I, not not much else to say i think uh mainly thanks for having me uh, mm. i that everyone uh, who is who is listening will have found it helpful in some small way. Yeah, I right. like to encourage uh, everyone, especially uh, people who have been thinking about how they can contribute to their local community, to look for your local charities or social service organizations or NGOs. And I mean, we learn all these project management, productivity tools, social media. These are all things that we are so familiar with. And I really encourage all of you to go to your local uh, charities and non-profit organizations and, and, and volunteer to see how we can help them onboard these things which are free, which are available and which are, you know, easily, easily uh, found in, uh, in the donation, tech donations and other areas as well. So there's really a lot we can do as a society and I would, I would really encourage everyone to, you know, do a part. It doesn't matter how small it is. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. All right. So, you know, thank you as well to you know, our listeners for joining in. And I hope to see you in, you know, the next episode. And that was today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and leave a review. It would mean a whole lot to us. You can also head over to our website, thundercode.org, to gain access to our free digital resources. See you next time!